It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of June 22, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This seems to be update month. Ubuntu 8.04 was my first big update in the past 30 days, followed closely by Windows Vista SP1, which actually I'm still evaluating, and now by Windows XP, Service Pack 3, claimed to be the final service pack for XP. Before you start downloading it, you should understand that it's big. 316 Megabytes. It's going to take you at least 30 minutes to do the download if you have a decent connection. Far longer if you're on dial-up. In fact, if you're on dial-up, just order the CD. It'll probably arrive before your download finishes. If you use the Windows Update Manager to install SP3, it will download only the pieces you need. So perhaps, and most likely, a good bit less than 316 megabytes. But I like having the full service pack available. If I need to reinstall the operating system, I'll already have all the pieces I need to rebuild the kit. So, you might be wondering, what's in Service Pack 3 for XP? Yeah, so was I. If you're thinking about downloading the Service Pack, a good place to start is the Microsoft Knowledge Base, where you'll find several links with information you should know before installing, directions for installing SP3, or for having the Windows Update do it, and an explanation of what's new. And there's a link to the Microsoft Knowledge Base article that you need from the TechBiter Worldwide website. That, of course, is www.techbiter.com. If you can't find a kitchen sink in Service Pack 3, it's because that seems to be one of the few items that was left out. Windows XP SP3 includes all of the previously released updates for the operating system and a few new functionalities. The previously released updates in Service Pack 3 include MMC3, that's a framework that combines common system management tools, standardizes the user interface. This is a welcome addition. Then there's MSXML6. Microsoft likes to string together random letters and numbers. This is a feature that provides better reliability and security with the XML 1.0 and XML Schema 1.0 Worldwide Web Consortium recommendations. It also provides compatibility with System.XML 2.0. Yes, I am speaking tech gobbledygook. The Microsoft Windows Installer 3.1 version 2, well, there's a minor update to the installer. Microsoft released in the original in 2004. The update primarily resolves problems in the 3.0 version of the installer. Then there's the Background Intelligent Transfer Service, BITS 2.5. It's required by the Microsoft System Center Configuration Manager and Windows Live OneCare. The updates are primarily to resolve security issues. IPsec, simple policy update. IPsec is a security over IP. This simplifies the creation and maintenance of IPsec filters, reducing the number of filters that are required for a server and domain isolation deployment. Most individual users won't even notice that one. There is DIMS, the Digital Identity Management Service. No, it's not a comment about Microsoft. This allows users who log on to any domain-joined computer to silently access all of their certificates and private keys for applications and services. Yep, security issue. 
The Peer Name Resolution Protocol enables specific Windows XP programs that use PNRP to communicate with Windows Vista programs that use the same protocol. The Remote Desktop Protocol 6.1 has been updated, used for communications between the terminal server and the terminal server client. Improvements primarily affect communication between machines running XP and those machines running Vista, all six of them. Then there's WPA2, the Wi-Fi Protected Access Version 2, better support for the latest standards to improve wireless security. But there are some new functions in SP3.2, things that have not already been released. Black hole router detection, for example, to identify routers that silently discard packets. There is the network access protection tool, similar to that built into Windows Vista and Windows Server 2008. NAP allows an administrator to enforce compliance with security rules. And how about CRED SSP? It's a new security service provider that enables an application to delegate the user's credentials from the client to a target server. It's used by RDP 6.1, which I already mentioned. It can be used by any third-party application that's willing to use that service. So that's a lot of stuff. It takes probably 30 minutes to download. The installation will tell you that it's going to take about an hour. and In fact, it takes about 50 minutes, so a little bit less than an hour. During that time, the Windows machine is probably going to reboot several times, so you probably want to stick around and keep an eye on it. How does XP SP3 work? Well, it works well, at least for most people. Keyword, most. Almost immediately, there were complaints of system problems, machines that rebooted for no apparent reason, machines that wouldn't boot at all, machines that lost contact with their external disk drives, well, major operating system updates can cause problems. That's why a full system backup is important. The problems usually involve device drivers or previously installed applications, and they're usually sorted out and resolved within a few weeks. So the bottom line for Windows XP SP3 is that you probably want it. I'll give it three cats, three out of five. Look through the SP3 documentation before you install the patch to make sure that you won't encounter any unpleasant surprises. Make sure that you have a full system backup, and even though the system will create its own restore point before installing, I think it's wise to create your own manually. Be sure to have your Windows XP installation disk handy just in case you need it to boot to the recovery console. You probably won't, but being prepared is better than being sorry. If you'd like more information, there is a link to Microsoft's XP SP3 section on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week's Spam of the Week tells me that I have been approved, but I still must apply. I'm so excited. Vision Visa has approved me for a card. All I have to do is apply for it. But wait, if I've been approved, why do I have to apply? Well, something sounds a little fishy here. So I looked at the link that the approved card provided. It didn't engender a lot of confidence. The link wanted to send me to a domain called heartstellline.com. Test.php32 equals 10 I L N K I M P V I S I O N dot 085 GM dot R40 dot 14A93. 
Well, now that didn't look a lot like a bank or a credit card link, especially that test PHP part. That really gave me second thought. And HeartStellLine.com, well, that's registered to a Texas company, but I will trust it just about as far as I could throw George W. Bush uphill in a downdraft from an oil well fire. That's probably not very far. Even that link is nothing more than a redirect. It sends me immediately to Nutney.com, which directs me to Hashaya.com, which redirects me to GetAGreatDealNow.com, which redirects me to ImpulseMG.com. Whew. And that one redirects me to logiforms.com. This last one actually would display a web page if I would allow it to. But given the redirection of the redirection of the redirection of the redirection, I'm just a little reluctant to do so. So let's take a look at these domains. Who exactly is nutney.com? Uh, it's registered to Platinum Marketing Power in El Paso, Texas. How about hashaya.com? It's limited to Platinum Marketing Power in El Paso, Texas. How about Get a Great Deal Now? No, it's not in El Paso. It's Impulse Marketing Group, Atlanta, Georgia. And Impulse MG? Hmm, Impulse Marketing Group, Atlanta, Georgia. How about Logiforums? Forums? Well, that one seems to be legitimate, or at least maybe. So the whole thing is pretty disgusting. Not surprising, but disgusting. Network Solutions seems to be involved in the problem. That's not too surprising. So I wonder, are there any good guys here, and who are the bad guys? Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to tell. Anytime a website redirects you to a website that redirects you to another website that then redirects you to yet another website, you can be fairly certain that the company is not one that you want to do business with. And what about Vision Visa? Well, it's kind of hard to tell about that company, too. It may be a legitimate operation. Vision Visa website positions the company as being an ideal solution to paying your employees. Instead of writing them a check or using standard direct deposit, you put their wages into a prepaid credit card. Maybe some people would like that. I sure wouldn't. Vision Visa seems to be a service of precash.com. They're located in Portland, Oregon. So although I question the need for such a service, it actually does appear to be legitimate. And this makes it even harder to tell legitimate organizations from the ripoffs. And no, by the way, that spam wasn't from me. A funny thing happened to my office email account this week. In two days, I received more than 900 bounced and rejected messages, but I hadn't sent any of them. It's always a bit disconcerting when this happens, and I've seen it several times. It's an easy problem to deal with, though. The rejections generally include a message that caused the rejection in the first place, so spam filters on my end already identify the messages as spam and quarantine them. All I have to do is delete them. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe you thought that somebody had hijacked your machine. That's probably not what happened. I know it's not what happened to me. What happened is that spammers selected my office address and started forging it on their spams. My name was never associated with the spams. The messages came from Great Watch Service, or Purses, or Cartier Watches, or Adnan Kanan, or Totally Satisfied, just to name a few. Well, you know, research organizations say that spam has decreased a little bit in the past year. Message Labs says it is just under 85% of all messages, compared with slightly more than 86% a year ago. 
So when you read a number like that or hear me talk about one, do you think something is wrong? You examine your email, you conclude that something is screwy because 85% of your email sure isn't spam, and that's true. Spammers send millions of messages, and often they merely guess at the actual address. A lot of spams bounce because the address is no good. Some inexperienced spammers place the addresses in the to or the cc field instead of the bcc field, so when you receive one of these messages, you can see what they do. Sometimes there'll be a message to bblin at dozens of different domains, and in other instances, there'll be dozens of addresses beginning with the letter b at my domain. That's where the 85 or 86 percent come from, from all those badly addressed messages. And companies spend a huge amount of time dealing with this crud. Anti-spam filters are tricky to set up, and users often get in the way. A spam filter that stops 100 percent of the spam, unfortunately, will also stop a lot of legitimate messages. So users spend time finding and reporting false positives so the IT managers can whitelist specific addresses. But if the rules are relaxed, then some of the spam gets through, and users have to report those messages so the IT managers can try to find a way to block the messages without blocking legitimate mail. And then there are those users who subscribe to a newsletter or mailing list later decide they no longer want it, and instead of doing what they should do, which is unsubscribe, they file a spam complaint. So the IT manager assumes that the user has registered a legitimate complaint and blocks all of the messages, then receives complaints from people who subscribed and still want the messages. This mess is not going to end anytime soon. In nerdly news, ever wonder what happens when you announce to the world that you want to set a new download record on June 17th? Well, if you're the Mozilla folks, the makers of Firefox, you'll have a lot of people who buy into the idea. And then your server goes belly up partway through the day. The first time I tried to log on and get the download, I got a service unavailable message. Eventually, I obtained the latest version on the download day, installed it on the Windows machines, and for a while, it seems that Mozilla was handling about 14,000 downloads a minute. It was the 18th before I had time to download and install Firefox 3 on the Mac, and I found that then selecting Help from the menu provides help instead of the revolving beach ball of death. And it was the 19th before I had time to ask Ubuntu's program manager to search for updates and install them. Among the updates it found was Firefox 3. So Firefox 3 is now running on all of my computers, and it's about the same as Firefox 3 Beta 5, which I told you about back on April 27th. The main difference is that now most of the add-ons I want are available for the final release version. You look really stupid. Receive any of those emails? I haven't mentioned any of them because you undoubtedly know better than to open one. The only way you'll really look stupid is if you do open one. The stupid face messages come with an attachment called video.exe. The spammer claims it's a video clip in which you look really stupid. Instead of seeing yourself look really stupid, if you try to run video.exe, it installs malware that will enroll your computer as part of a spam botnet. And so instead of looking stupid, you will... Well, no, let's not go there. Spammers could probably make more money in legitimate marketing than sending spam because they have learned the hooks that draw people in. 
There are messages promising you'll see some famous person naked. Spams that tell you you've won millions or that some Nigerian prince wants to give you his fortune. And, of course, there are those that tell you you can make a $1,000 an hour working at home. And now the ones that tell you you look stupid. The latest trick is called Slam Spam because it attempts to insult you into opening it. Don't. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of June 22nd, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Don't forget, check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. See you next week. Bye-bye.